John chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 25. I invite you, if you're able this morning, to stand with me as we reverence God's Word together. John chapter 7, beginning in verse 25. The Bible says this, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where he comes from. We know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me, and you know where I come from? But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and in him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they're seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. The chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me? And you will not find me, and where you am, or where I am, you cannot come. You may be seated. We have in this passage a very sad display of events. We see, where, we see where things are going in the relationship between these people that Jesus has come to, these Jewish people, these religious leaders, and Jesus. And where it is going to is not a good place. We understand that ultimately Jesus will be arrested, he will be tried. And he will be crucified by these same people. But we're beginning to see the root of why that takes place. Now, I don't mean the why as far as God's purpose in sending Jesus. We know why Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus ultimately goes to the cross to die a sacrifice for our sin. But we begin to see what is going on in the minds of the people as they begin to reject Jesus. It has not been so long ago that many followed him and believed in him and many were counted among his disciples, but when things got tough, they left. 
we begin to see that now these people who, who Jesus has come to offer himself to and to, to, make, to make a sacrifice for sin on their behalf, these same people are now playing dumb. They're now showing willful ignorance toward the things of God in, all, in order to discredit Jesus. They know better. Some of the things that we see in this text, these people, they know better. But they ignore the facts. They ignore the truth in order to make themselves feel better, in order to justify themselves and the actions that they are going to take. Peter describes something like this in his second letter. He describes what's going to happen at the end, that there'll be those who come along and they're scoffing at this notion that Jesus will one day come back. They follow their own sinful desires. Does that sound like what's happening in John chapter 7? They're denying Jesus to make themselves feel better. They're willfully ignorant of the things that God has said. They're willfully ignorant of God's power and authority over all of creation and over their own lives. James says those things are going to happen in the last days. What we see is that those things were happening in the time of Jesus. And friends, those things are happening in our own time. That people are ignoring the facts. They're ignoring the reality. They're ignoring creation around them and saying that there is no God. They're denying the power of Christ, though the evidence before them is clear. Friends, this morning we're going to see this terrible path that they go down, and yet I think we can recognize it in our own time, in our own midst, We can see that there are those who are willfully ignoring the truth about Christ. First, as we look in verses 25 through 29, we we see that those who are far from God ignore the truth about God. At some point in verse 25, as Jesus is talking, the people begin to realize that it's Him. Remember, they've just called him in the verses before, the ones we looked at last week. They, they told him that he was crazy back in verse 20. When, when he said, why are you seeking to kill me? And they said, well, you, you have a demon. There's something wrong with you. You're crazy. But then they begin to realize who he is as he begins to talk and he begins to teach. And they understand, as we have already seen, that they were seeking to kill him. The religious leaders were threatened by him. They were afraid of him. And so now it finally clicks in verse 25. Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? All the way back, we see that at the beginning of this chapter in verse 1. That they were seeking to kill him. But then they say maybe they realize something about him. Remember, some time has passed. Okay, so we, we have a condensed version of the things that are happening. But some time has passed since Jesus was last in Jerusalem. 
And now here he is, and he is teaching and speaking openly. And they realize that the crowd realizes that that no one is seeking to arrest Jesus right now. No one is doing anything. Here is Jesus, and he is standing up, and he is teaching in front of the people. And they say, you know, they're not saying anything to him. You know, here he is. He's right here. We can, we can see him. We can see what he's doing. We can, we can see what, what he is saying. Why is no one doing anything about this? And so the crowd says, well, maybe, maybe during this time that has passed, the, the religious authorities have, have figured out that this man really is the Christ. Now, that's a really insightful statement because we as the reader... John's audience, as the readers, when this gospel was written, they would have said, yeah, we we know he's the Christ. We we know he's the Messiah. We we know he's the, the one that has been promised. We know those things. What these people are saying is true. We'll hear later on at the end of this passage, at the end of verse 31, Some of them will even say, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? In other words, what more evidence do you need? What more could someone else come and do later that Jesus hasn't done that would show that that person, instead of Jesus, was really the Messiah? What else could he have done? Remember, he has done all kinds of amazing things. He has healed the sick. He has fed the hungry. His teaching has such power and authority. What else could could he do? It's a good question. There's nothing else that needed to be done. The evidence is in front of them. They know the truth. They're at at the, the edge of the truth. They're right there at it. And so what do they do? Do they jump in and say, yes, that, that is what it is. That is it. He is the Christ. Let's follow Him. Now, this is where they show that they are far from God. But, verse 27, but we know. Forget what Jesus has done. Forget what Jesus has said. But we know. The crowds are going to rely on their own understanding. They're going to rely on their own authority. They're going to rely on their own knowledge. But we know where this man comes from. This is Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter from Nazareth. This is the man from Galilee. We know this guy. We know where he is from. We know what he has been doing. We know who he is. And we also know at the end of this verse, verse 27, and we also know when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. In their mind, and and in some of the thought at the time, when the Messiah appeared, he would just come on the scene. It would be a big surprise. And no one would would know where he had come from, and no one would know what he was doing, and and maybe even he himself would not exactly know what his mission was until it started. Now, there's a problem with that line of thinking. 
Because see, Micah 5.2 had said where the Messiah would come from. That he would come from Bethlehem. Now we can step back and say, well, all they know is that he's from Nazareth and, and they maybe didn't know what had happened and they didn't know that he had been born in a manger or had been born in a stable and laid in a manger, that, that the angel had come and the shepherds had come and the wise men had come. Maybe they didn't know that. Friends, you're talking about people who cared about where they came from. It was really important to know where you came from in Jewish culture in Jesus' day. In Matthew and Luke, we have genealogies of Jesus that trace both sides of his family all the way back to King David. It wouldn't have taken a lot of work for these people to have dug in and found out where he came from. It apparently was not a surprise because it ended up in the Bible. Somebody knew about it. Somebody knew the lineage. Somebody knew his heritage. Someone knew where he came from. But these people who had all of this knowledge and desired to know where they came from and where other people came from and what was important in their family, they deny knowing this. They deny knowing the Scripture. They ignore Micah 5 too. They ignore that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. They just push that aside. Why? Because they wanted to. They're far from God, and so they ignore the evidence. Jesus even reminds them of that in verse 28. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and know where I come from. In your Bible, that's probably a period, but it may be better understood as a question mark. Some of your translations may have a question mark there. He's really asking them that question. You know me and know where I come from. In other words, you think you know where I'm from? If you really knew where I'm from, you would, knew, you would know who sent me, and it would change everything. They think he's from Nazareth. They think he's the son of a carpenter, but he's really the son of God. He's come to save them from their sin, but they are open, openly ignoring that fact. He says, I've not come on my own accord, but I've come from the one who sent me. I've come from the Father who sent me, and you do not know him. Friends, they're, they're just ignoring the facts because it's inconvenient. That's the time in which we live. There is an enormous growth among those who don't believe anything, who, who believe there's no God, who believe that there's no hope, who believe that there's just nothingness, that our entire existence, in fact, the entire existence of the universe was a happy accident. They ignore Ignore the, the fact that their philosophy and their idea has no answer when we suffer. It has no answer from, uh, when we hurt. It has no answer about where we came from that is satisfactory. It has no answer about where we are going except that we are going to nothing. 
And yet we know that we've been created with eternity in our hearts. We know, we look around and we see this creation and we cannot fathom that it happened by accident. And yet with all of that, with as Romans tells us, creation declaring God and His purpose, when someone is far from God, they will willfully ignore God's truth. I would imagine all of you have people in your family, in your circle of friends, who fit into this category. They do not know God, and so they willfully ignore God. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much Scripture you show them. It doesn't matter how much science you show them. It doesn't matter how much philosophy you show them. It doesn't matter how much theology you show them. They will willfully ignore it because they are far from God. And if they're like the people that I've had conversations with, when you start to hone in on their disbelief and you start to show the air of their thinking, what do they do? They dismiss that to go on to something else. Because they do not want to wrestle with the truth. Here are people who God has sent His Son for. He has sent His Son to the nation of Israel. And here are these people gathered in, this, in Jerusalem, in God's city, for this feast that God has put in place for them to remember what God has done in delivering them out of the bondage of slavery. And He sends His Son to them to stand before them and teach them. And what do they do? They ignore His truth. They ignore what He is doing. They ignore His Word as, in, as they're ignoring Micah 5.2. They ignore the truth about Jesus, and they do so willfully. Friends, when we encounter people that do this, it should break our heart, but it should not surprise us. It should burden us that someone would just simply dismiss the things of God. They would, they would just discount them and write them off. But it should not surprise us. Because this is what people do when they are far from God. They do not want to hear the truth about God. What's our hope, though, in this? What's their hope? Look at the next two verses. Those far from God are willfully ignoring His truth, but But God's authority, we see in these next two verses, God's authority cannot be overcome. They're ignoring it. Can this really be the Christ? We know this about the Christ, and and this Jesus fellow, he doesn't really fit into our mold and our image of what the Christ is going to be like. We're going to ignore that. So what does Jesus do? He, He throws up his hands and says, well, I guess I can't do anything here. That's not what it says. What do we see? They're seeking to arrest him. So they hear him say this, and it angers them again. Every time he says anything, the religious leaders, they get angry. They can't tolerate it. They don't want to hear it. So they're seeking to arrest him again. But, now remember back in verse 27, but we know that that transition word is where they just go off the rails. We, we've got all of this evidence, but, but this is what we know. This is our wisdom. This is, 
what we know to be true, well, here's where God steps in. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Now think about this. These religious authorities have a lot of authority. They have a whole crowd of people. Remember, he has just turned away, or rather, a bunch of his disciples have walked away because they were angry with him and and didn't want to hear what he had to say back in chapter 6. Now here are people saying, hey, isn't this the guy you're supposed to be arresting? And they've been seeking to arrest him, and they are angry with him, and yet they can do nothing. No one laid a hand on him. In fact, as we'll see at the end of this passage, they send officers to arrest him. And what happens? They leave empty-handed. Why? Because God's in control. They're not in control. God is in control of what is going on. His authority cannot be overcome by disbelief. So friends, our entire world, our entire society... Every person, every politician, every leader in the United States of America could deny Christ, turn their back on Him, actively persecute His church, and they would have no authority. Zero. Our county commissioners, our state legislators, our governor, our senators our congressmen, the President of the United States, they have no authority. Zero. In all of the world, in all of creation, they have zero authority except what has been granted to them temporarily by the God creator of the universe. Do you want to know why the church in China gets persecuted? It's because they preach about a God who gives the Communist Party limited authority. That doesn't fly in a communist country. Why did they persecute the church in Russia during communism and are starting to persecute the church in Russia again? Because the church in Russia believes that the communist leaders of Russia have only the limited temporary authority that God gives them. Friends, we get worried and scared and afraid and I'm sure it's going to hit us again because there's already politicians kicking off their 2020 campaigns. And we're going to get bombarded with ads and Facebook posts and all that. That Oh, we've got to, we've got to make sure that God stays in control and all of this. Listen, God knew 10 trillion years ago who would be president of this feeble United States of America in 2020. He knew that. And it's nothing to him. It's, it's no thing to him. He could snuff out everyone in Congress right now. It wouldn't be nothing to him. He snuffed out more people before. He snuffed out more wicked people in a single day before than live in Washington, D.C., if you can believe it. Friends, he flooded the whole world except for one family because of the wickedness of mankind. It's nothing to God to do that. He has but to think it, and it comes into being. Friends, through the power of his word, he made all that there is. The, the passage in James, if you get an opportunity to go back and, and read it, and I would encourage you to do so because I think it's very enlightening. I'm sorry, in Second Peter, in our own day, it's, it's very enlightening to see because the people then were saying, it doesn't matter what God has said, this is what's happening, except it does matter exactly what God has said because He is in control and He is the authority. 
So friends, when something is happening in your life that is ripping your heart apart, know this, God is in control of that. And it is but temporary for the children of God. The hurt, the pain, the suffering, it's but temporary. It's but momentary. And it is under the control and authority of our Father. We should never buy into this theology that somehow makes it out that, that only good things are under God's control and all the bad things are somehow under Satan's control and, and they're having this gigantic fight and it's some tug of war about who's going to win. No. In the book of Job, when Satan wants to do something, he has to come before God and ask for permission. Friends, he has no authority. He is a defeated and conquered foe. Friends, in the end, sin and death are all cast into the lake of fire. They're all removed. Why? Because they're under God's authority. He is the sovereign of the universe. It is held up by His will and His word. As the kid's song goes, He has the whole world in His hands all the time, in every moment, and in everything. And there is no point where it's not under God's control. And so even those who are willfully ignoring His truth are under His control. And guess what the good news is? That we were all once like that. We were willfully ignoring the truth of God. And because He is in control, He brought about salvation into our life. Even when we're standing against Him and fighting against Him. Friends, that's the good news of of all of these names that we list up here. Because all of these people, if they do not know Christ... They're willfully ignoring His truth. But that does not mean that they are outside of His power and His authority to change their heart and to change ours. Friends, we should find great comfort in knowing that His authority cannot be overcome. When Jesus came, He had a designated hour, a designated time when He would be arrested, when He would be tried, when He would be crucified, And God knew that exact hour. In fact, not only did God know that exact hour, God had planned that exact hour. And God brought it into being. And so all of them, as they're standing around, and they want to arrest Jesus, but there's something that prevents them from doing so. And friends, it was the authority of God that kept them It kept them from arresting him. There is, however, a consequence for those who remain willfully ignorant. Look in verse 32. They're muttering. They're muttering. So remember, many of the people believed in him, and they said, when Christ appears, he'll do more signs than this man has done. The Pharisees hear this, and they hear this muttering that's going on about Jesus. And so they send officers to arrest him. This would have been the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. In fact, it'll be the religious leaders that eventually he will have his trial before them, the chief priests and the Pharisees. And he says, as these come to arrest him, I will be with you a little longer than I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me. And you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Now, friends, these are condemning words on those who he is speaking to. 
we, we may just read them and, and pass on by and not think much about it, but these are, these are words of condemnation on these people. How do we know? Well, he says, you'll seek me and you will not find me. It's an odd phrase, right? Because Jesus has said something else previously that would seem to contradict this, correct? In Matthew 7, Luke 11, seek and you'll do what? Find. If you seek me, you'll find me, he, he tells some. And yet he tells them, you'll seek me, but you're not going to find me. He tells them after that, where I am, you cannot come. In John 14, he, is, he tells his disciples that he's going to prepare a place for them, that where he is, they may be also, correct? You've probably heard that passage a number of times at, at, at funerals in particular. We, we use that passage. That, that Jesus is going to go and prepare a place, that, that in his Father's house there are many rooms. But here he says to them, they're going to seek after him, and they're not going to find him. That where he is going, they cannot come. Friends, those who reject Christ are ultimately separated from God. That's what he's telling them here. You have been willfully ignorant, but I'm in control. The Father is in control. And ultimately, those who do not believe in me will be separated from God. They don't believe. In fact, they... They think he's going to leave them physically, that he's going to go into the dispersion, which is anywhere outside of the promised land, that, they're going to go, that he's going to go there and he's going to begin to teach the Greeks. He's going to go and instruct them. He's going to go and live among them. But friends, he's talking about the cross. He's talking about his death for their sin. He's talking about returning to the Father. But they have nothing but disdain. You've seen several times in this passage, this man, when they say this man, they're, they're using this, this term as a, to discredit him, to disparage him. Where's he going to go that we can't find him? They, they thought their power was so, so big, so great, that, that no matter where he went, they would be able to find him. He can't run away. He can't go hide. He can't even leave the country. We will find him. Where's he going to go that we can't find him? He says, I'm going to go somewhere you can't come. I'm going to go to a place that is not available to you because you do not believe. Friends, that's why this right here, that's why this is so important, because this is our job. We do a lot of good stuff. Sometimes we do a lot of great stuff, but friends, this is our job, because in the end, what we read here in this scripture is that for those who don't believe, 
They cannot go where Jesus is. As Christians, we spend our life thinking about going and being with Jesus, being where He is, being a part of what He has made, the the place that He has made for us. When we lose loved ones, that's that's our comfort, right? That, That they are now in the arms of Christ. That that promise has been fulfilled in their life. But friends, the reality is that those who do not know Him Those who reject Him are separated from God. They do not believe. They do not believe in what He is saying. They do not believe in who He is. They do not believe that He is the Christ. So He tells them that He's leaving. And where He's going, they cannot come. They will be separated from God forever. He'll tell his disciples later on that he's going to go. That he's going to prepare a place for them. That where he is, they will be with him one day. That they'll get to enjoy the splendors of heaven. But how do they enjoy and know the splendors of heaven? How do they go? Thomas asked that question in John 14. Jesus has said that he's going to go and prepare a place for them. And Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said what? I am the way. This place that Jesus is preparing is a place that He is the way to get to. He is the only way. He is the door by which we go to this place that He has prepared. Jesus is the door by which we go through to go to an eternity and a relationship with God. Without Jesus, friends, there is no door. There is no way. In the end, there is no life. That's why this is serious. Because all of these names are people made in the image of God. All of these names are people that are their daughters and sons and neighbors and friends and fathers and mothers. And even if they are actively right now being being angry at God and standing against God and rejecting Him, being willfully ignorant of what is going on and, and, and rejecting everything that God has done. God loves them and has sent His Son to die for them. And we, we have been given this moment, we have been chosen for this moment to share with them His good news, knowing that if they receive Him, that He has gone and prepared a place for them, but if they reject Him, they cannot go where He is. They cannot come to the place prepared by God without going through Christ. Friends, we... We are so blessed that God has called us to Himself. That even in our willful ignorance, even in our 
standing against His truth, God has called us out of darkness into His light. But friends, there are so many more that need Christ. And His authority will not be overcome. Ignorance will not be an excuse. Christ has proven Himself. He has demonstrated His goodness in dying for us. His, His resurrection is attested to by multitudes. His Spirit dwells within us and confirms in us His love and grace. So friends, let's not forget that those who reject Christ are separated from God and be about His work. We can start with our one, but our mission goes from one to the ends of the earth, and we cannot ignore it. We must seek to not be willfully ignorant of His truth in our own life and reject His truth in our own life. But friends, we go. We go and share the good news of Christ because we know that time is short and that there are many who are hopeless. And so we go and share with them these things that that God has made us. Each person regardless of where they are from, who they are, what their name is, what their nationality is, what they look like. Every person has been made in God's image. And every person has sinned. And every person's sin has separated them from God. The payment of sin is death. Somebody had to die because we sin, because that's how sin is atoned for, because that's how serious sin is. We treat sin like it's nothing. Our culture doesn't believe in sin, but sin is serious. And so instead of us dying, God sent His Son to die in our place. He lived perfect where we failed. He died perfect where we were supposed to die. We were created where we sinned, so God sent Jesus And friends, time is short. He's coming again. And our life here is but a vapor. But he promises that one day he's going to make all of this new. He's going to make all of this new. He's going to make me new. He's going to make you new who are in Christ. But time is short. Friends, that's all you've got to tell someone. That is the gospel that God created us, that we have sinned and need a Savior, that Jesus is that Savior, and we will spend an eternity somewhere either with Him or we will not be able to go where He is. Friends, that's the message the world needs because the world is dying without Christ. What will we do with that message? Will you bow your heads with me as we pray this morning? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your grace, love, and peace. We thank you that you have brought us here this morning and that we could listen to your word. My prayer is that we would go knowing that the message of the gospel is urgent. The message is urgent. It cannot wait. We must go now. God, help us to go. God, we pray for those who 
whose names are listed on our cross. God, we pray that you would, you would open their hearts. That, God, they would come to hear your word. But, God, they would hear it from the person who is inviting them. That we would not simply invite them to church, but we would invite them to know you. God, help us to be found faithful in that. God, I pray that you use this time as we sing this last song. God, to apply your word to each of our hearts. That God, every person here who needs to respond in whatever way, that they would respond now and that they would not wait. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for speaking to us through it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing this final song. <clears throat> Will you respond to God's word this morning? Would you come and pray for the person who, who you've written on your card? Would, would you come and, and repent where you have been willfully ignorant of God's truth, where you know what the truth is, but you have ignored it? Maybe you need to come and repent of that. Friends, maybe you've never followed Christ. Today's the day to do so. Don't wait till tomorrow. Because, friends, time is short. Would you respond to God's word this morning as we sing together?